Well, friends, as you take your Bible this morning and you open once again to 1 John chapter 1, I want to begin this morning by showing you one of the smallest light bulbs in my house. Now, this light is only about one inch high, and it's, it's less than, say, half an inch in diameter. Now, according to the packaging for this light bulb, this particular bulb is rated at a power rating of just about four watts. So that's pretty small compared with, say, the 100-watt bulb that you might put up in a ceiling fixture or maybe even the 150 or 200 that you might put in a, in a reading lamp. Now, where in the world could a small light like this one be of any kind of effectiveness in a home? Well, friends, this particular little undersized bulb is actually installed in a wall fixture in our hallway, and we use it primarily as a, as a night light. Now, family, I have to tell you, even though this is such a small light bulb, its, it's light output is very, very effective. I mean, our hallway is like 20-something feet long. It's four feet wide. I mean, you got an eight-foot ceiling in there. But even this little light, for as small as it is, has no problem pushing back the darkness and allowing our family and even our guests to come and be able to walk that hallway in the light. Well, friends, we're coming today to God's Word. And here in Scripture, it's, it's fascinating to note that one of the uh, most famous teachings about God and His character is to describe God as light. Now, of course, many people today are not very familiar with this description. Uh, how many people today have seen bumper stickers and little t-shirts that say, God is love? But when's the last time you ever saw a t-shirt or a bumper sticker that said, God is light? You just don't see that aspect of God's character be emphasized very often. And yet, friends, this is one of the critical, essential truths that's set forth by the Scriptures. And here in 1 John, the Bible actually directs and commands Christian believers to walk in God's light. So, friends, coming this morning to 1 John chapter 1 and uh, verses 5 through 10, today in this message on walking in the light, you and I are going to uncover uh, just a little more about this essential truth and what it has to do with God, what it has to do with Jesus Christ, and even our everyday life as Christians. Now, friends, as we keep pressing forward here in 1 John chapter 1, I shared with you last Sunday morning that when John wrote these three epistles, he really was the, the wise old man. He was not the young John, he was the old John, and he was the last living apostle. And during those final decades of the first century, the Christians that John was teaching and ministering to, they were being influenced by some really false teachings, some, some unbiblical philosophies that undermined the person, uh, the divinity of Jesus Christ, and they even threatened some of the lifestyles of the Christian believers. Now, I think some of you will probably remember, as you have studied through some of God's Word and as you've read uh, some of the epistles, some of you will remember that the earliest Christians, there in the early years of the church, the early decades of the first century, those first Christians battled against a false teaching that, that Jewish ceremonies, being Jewish, they said, and keeping the Jewish laws, 
To be a Christian meant you had to embrace all of that. Of course, that was a very strong false teaching that those early Christians had to fight hard against. Well, coming after them, the next generation, the second generation of Christians, also faced some false teaching. And this was false teaching that went sideways regarding the person of Jesus Christ and regarding the nature of sin. Family, in this section, John is pushing back against those false teachings. John is going to push back against people who would question God's nature, people who would question the existence of sin, or, or people that might promote a lifestyle that tolerates sin in the flesh. Well, friends, as we dig in here this morning to verses 5 through 10 of 1 John 1, what does it mean exactly for Christians to walk in the light? We sing that phrase, we know that phrase, but what does it actually mean for Christians to walk in the light? What will it mean for our everyday Christian lives if we truly are walking in the light of Christ? Well, friends, I want to talk to us today from God's Word about four tangible actions. Four tangible actions that, that will show up in the lives of true Christians who are walking in the light. So I hope you'll take some notes there in the bulletin this morning, and I hope that you'll take that with you, and this will be an encouragement to you. So let's look here. Four tangible actions. Here's the first one. True Christians walk in the light by, number one, acknowledging the holiness of God. Here's number one. True Christians walk in the light by acknowledging the holiness of God. Now let's go to the scripture here. We are in the New Testament in the epistle of 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. Scripture says, This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. Now, friends, if you were with us last Sunday when we began this series, we looked at verses 1 to 4. And in verses 1 to 4, we discovered that John did not begin his epistle in the regular, usual way, by writing his name, by announcing greetings to the people that he was writing to on the receiving end of his letter. Instead, John opens this first epistle by really giving his own personal testimony of sorts, his own apostolic testimony. He's, he wants to explain a little bit some of the firsthand experiences with Jesus Christ, who is the Word of Life. Last Sunday morning, we learned that in Jesus Christ alone, in Jesus alone is true life. In Jesus alone is true joy. Well, friends, we keep pressing forward and we get to verse 5. And now John wants to emphasize a very important truth that he learned firsthand from Jesus Christ. This message that he heard taught by Jesus. And John now wants to proclaim it. He wants to emphasize it. Look what he says there. This message that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. Now I know for some of you, you're already nodding off, because you think this is so elementary. You think this is so simple. But dear friend, don't you dare underestimate the depth of what John is talking about here. You should not underestimate the depth of what John is talking about here any more than you would underestimate the depth of, a, of an ocean that you were to come upon or the depth of a lake that you would stumble upon. Now listen, Scripture does have a lot to say 
about God's deity and God's perfections and His majesty, His eternal glory. And those things are all so awesome that the Bible says that God's heavenly throne is actually surrounded by light. I mean, that is how awesome God is. His whole essence, His whole being, His whole throne is surrounded with light. Look in your notes there. I gave you 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 15 and 16, which says this, The blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to Him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Family, there's something you need to know. When the Bible speaks about God being full of light, it doesn't only mean to say that His throne is surrounded by visible light or physical light that shines. Because the Bible often uses this imagery of light to, to emphasize truth, truth over error, purity over wickedness. So the Bible uses light as a metaphor to often speak about truth and purity. Like, for instance, look at Psalm 119 is in your notes, verse 105. This is such a famous verse. Many of you memorized it. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. There's an example of that metaphor light speaking about truth. Here's one where it speaks about purity in 1 Thessalonians 5, 5, talking about Christians. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So here's what I'm saying to you, friend. Light in the Bible isn't always about the visible, blinding rays. It also carries the idea of things that are truthful, things that are morally upright or morally pure. So John tells these Christians who receive this first epistle, he wants them to know this essential truth. It's a truth that Jesus taught faithfully, and it was a truth that John is now faithfully proclaiming, and John wants his readers to know, you better get this, you better get this in your bloodstream, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. In other words, when it comes to knowing God, relating with God, living for God as a Christian, this essential reality is the starting point. God is absolutely perfect and God is absolutely pure. Now, this is so critical. We have to understand this first action of affirming the holiness of God because it's on the basis of this first action that true Christians then undertake the second action. Here's number two. True Christians walk in the light by aspiring to live in truth and moral purity. True Christians walk in light when they're aspiring to live in truth and in moral purity. Would you look with me at our text? Verses 6 and 7. Scripture continues, If we say... We have fellowship with Him. While we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. 
Now, friends, if we're going to make sense of this section of Scripture, if we're going to see the significance and the value of these verses, well, we need to realize something. We need to realize the reason why John was speaking out so passionately about God's light is because there were these false teachers coming in and trying to influence Christians. These false teachers were telling the Christians that it was possible, that it was possible to have this pure, spiritual, inward relationship with God while on the outside living in all kinds of sensuality and sinful, wicked behavior. You see, friends, during the final decades of the first century, there was a Greek philosophy that was growing. The secular Greek philosophy uh, was growing in size and strength, and it eventually became known by this name, Gnosticism. Gnosticism. Now, this particular belief system, this worldview, came out of the Greek world. And it was a Greek philosophy that, that promoted this idea that all physical matter is evil. That anything you can see and touch and anything in this physical world, anything that related to the physicality of matter was evil. And the only thing that was good is what was unseen, what was spiritual, what was on the inside. Well, you take that Greek philosophy and you intersect it with a Christian life and worldview. And what you start to get are these false teachers who were saying that it's possible to have a godly, illuminated, light-filled, spiritual life on the inside while pretty much doing whatever you want to do on the outside. You see, you have these Gnostics. They were going around and telling people, hey, we, we know all about God. Yeah, we, we have fellowship with God and we're spiritual. We have this inner understanding and we're godly, we're enlightened. But on the outside, in their lifestyles and in their behaviors, they were engaging in all kinds of, of sinful, sensual, fleshly practices. And guess what? That kind of philosophy and that kind of thinking was starting to ooze into the church. That idea was starting to be influential in the Christian church. And so here in this section, John has got to push back. He's got to help. He's got to step in. He's got to set forth the truth. And so he starts to do that here in verses 6 through 10. And John does that by holding out to these Christians five conditional statements. Five conditional statements. Now, when you were back in junior high school, you learned about a conditional statement. It's not hard to understand. Back in school, your teacher called them if-then statements. If-then statements. It's a conditional statement. In other words, if something is true, then this something will take place. You remember learning about if-then statements. Well, as John is going to speak to these Christians, he's going to use five if-then statements to try to communicate to them truth that they need to understand. Look at verse 5, family. After proclaiming that God is light, God is eternal perfection, God is moral purity, we get to verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. 
You see what John's doing here? He's starting to hit back against false teaching. John says, Christians, listen, these false teachers, these heretics have it all wrong. It's just not possible, John says, for anyone, much less a Christian, to live a life that's characterized by sin and immorality and wickedness and then to think that you have some inner spiritual walk with God? John says that's wrong. John says a life like that, that's not light. That's darkness. And so John says that person is a liar. They're just lying to themselves. They don't practice the truth. Now, I know perhaps some of you right now are saying, well, you know, Pastor, this is a very interesting history lesson that you're giving us right now, but this kind of stuff doesn't really go on today. Well, friend, my reply to that is, of course it does. Of course it does. Perhaps you know some people who live like the devil all week. But then Saturday night comes or Sunday morning comes and they're right there in church. And they want you to know that they, they made church that week. They made the Mass that week. They didn't miss Mass. Now, if you were to have a little conversation with that friend or coworker or that family member, if you, if you started to meddle just a little, just a little, if you were to raise some kind of a question with them about their lifestyle or how they live or things that they do, and the fact that there seems, there seems to be a disconnect between what they claim and how they live, that person might get upset with you. I mean, they, they might get a little riled. I mean, you're going to ruffle their feathers with a question like that. They might get a little loud. They might even get a little mad. Then they might insist to you. They'd say, oh, hold on a second. I, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm spiritual. I've got the things, you know, that, that really count. Hmm. But John says that that person is deceived. They're deceived. They're, they're lying. Even to themselves, they're not practicing the truth. So, what does the true Christian life look like then? If it's not that, what does it look like? Well, you see there the next conditional statement in verse 7. But, here's the contrast, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Who's the one another? It's between us and God. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, with God. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So listen, here's what characterizes the true Christian. What characterizes the true Christian is not a life full of heinous sin, wickedness, immorality, no, but a life that aspires to live in truth. A life that aspires to have godly morality. And John says that is what a true Christian looks like. That's the person who truly has fellowship with God. Now, friend, listen, i got to say something here to help you understand. John is not saying that the true Christian is perfect. He's not saying that the true Christian lives a perfectly spotless life. No, the Christian does still battle against some troublesome sins. And, and John's going to say more about that here in a moment. But for the Christian who strives daily to walk in the light, that fellowship with God is, is maintained, as John says, as the blood of Jesus Christ continues to cleanse us from all sin. Isn't that great? 
He's in the light and we walk in the light with Him. And as we have that fellowship, the blood of Jesus Christ continues to keep us in fellowship with Him. Family, I remember a couple years ago, Will Stanley and I, the guy who was up here playing acoustic guitar, Will and I a few years ago decided to take a, a camping trip down on the Appalachian Trail, which is about 30 minutes from here. We were actually uh, maybe not the wisest to choose this time of year. I think it was late October uh, to go out camping and to spend the night on the trail. It was very late in, in backpacking season where the sun's going down by 5.30 p.m., I mean, even by 6 o'clock, it's getting dark. Well, we went after work on a Friday night. So by the time we drove down, got out of work, drove down, got out of the vehicles, got our packs on, it's like 545, and, and darkness is coming on fast. And so we each had to reach into our bag, and we pulled out these special battery-operated headlamps. So we got our headlamps on, and we started to trek out into the woods there. And within 10 minutes we were surrounded by absolute darkness. But you know what? As long as we had our headlamps facing forward, we could see everything. We could see the next steps. We could see the rocks to walk over. We could see the log to step over. And, and we were walking there with our headlamps both pointing in the same direction. And we walked together in the light. And we talked and laughed and enjoyed and talked about our kids and talked about our wives. And we really ended up having a great trip. Listen, Christians, you need to know that's how it works in the spiritual life, too. True Christians are diligent to walk in God's light. Well, what does that mean? It means you continue to practice truth. You continue to practice and live moral purity because that's who God is. God is truth. God is absolute purity. So that's what it means to walk in the light. It means you walk in His truth. You walk in His purity. And when you do, what happens? You have fellowship with God. And even as you continue on together, the blood of Jesus Christ continues to cleanse you of sin. So family, we're answering a question today. What are the tangible actions of Christians who are walking in the light. Well, we saw number one, true Christians who are walking in the light, they're acknowledging the holiness of God. And then secondly, they're aspiring to live in truth and moral purity. But then thirdly, here's number three, true Christians walk in the light by admitting the reality of personal sin. Number three, admitting the reality of personal sin. Look at verse 8 with me in our text. Verse 8. John writes, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Family, skip down to verse 10. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, friends, for those of you who are parents this morning, you understand the great challenge of trying to get your children to speak honestly about their behaviors. I know in my house it's not always easy to get your children to speak the truth about their behaviors, to get them to admit certain things that they have said or done. For instance, I go in my freezer, and I know just yesterday, less than 24 hours earlier, I know that I purchased some Turkey Hill cookie dough ice cream. And I can't wait, and I got the dishes done, and I got all my little chores done, and 
It's time for some ice cream. Yeah, you better hide, Seth. <laughs> I go to the freezer, and I know there's, there's cookie dough ice cream in there, baby, and it's got my name on it. And I open the freezer door, and it's gone. It's gone. So I start inquiring of my, my children, most especially my teenagers, who are the only ones tall enough to reach said freezer. And I say, hey, who ate all the ice cream that I just bought less than 24 hours ago? And parents, you know, you know what happens. Not me. Not me, not me, not me, not me, not me. What do, you, what do, you mean, what do we have, gremlins here? It's tough to get your kids to admit the way things really are. Family, John is writing to Christians who are being negatively influenced by these false teachers. And these false teachers had a major disconnect between their inward hearts and their outward lives. A great disconnect. Some of these false teachers even went as far as to say that sin didn't touch them. Because things were right with them on the inside and, and sin didn't even touch them. In his commentary, Dr. John MacArthur writes that these false teachers may have even gone as far as to teach that there was no such thing as a sin nature. Another great commentator, uh, scholar, Simon Kistemacher, says these false teachers may have been teaching that it was possible for a person to live above sin. To totally live above sin in such a spiritual way that, that he or she has advanced totally beyond it. That the person has advanced past sin to where it doesn't even touch them anymore. Well, family, notice, notice verse 8. Here's a third conditional statement. Look at it. Verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves in the truth is not in us. Friends, John's absolutely right. For, for anyone who would say that they are without sin, to say that they are untouched by the sin nature, or to say that they have somehow advanced beyond the realm of sin, John says that person is just deceived. Just deceived. Friends, how many times in the Bible does God's Word so plainly speak about the sinfulness of, of human beings? I've just given you a few examples there in your notes. King David wrote in Psalm 51, verse 5, David says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother did conceive me. Now, David's not talking there about the, the sexual act being sin. David is saying that the day I was born, when I, when I came forth, I was a sinner. How about Job 5, 7? That's another real famous verse from God's Word. But man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he actually quotes from King David when Paul writes these words in Romans 3, None is righteous, no, not one. And we all have surely been exposed at least every now and then to Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Family, Dr. R.C. Sproul wrote this statement many years ago. It's going to be up on the screen. R.C. wrote this quite famously. We are not sinners because we sin. 
We sin because we are sinners. Did you hear that? We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Dear friends, that is the unabashed, unvarnished truth of the Bible. That's why John says what he says here. Whoever would say or believe, whoever would try to teach that, that we're not affected by sin, that person is deceived and the truth isn't in them. But notice verse 8. John even takes another step in verse 8. Here's another conditional sentence. Not only does that someone claim they had no sin in them, not only do they deceive themselves, look at verse 8. They also make God a liar. Now, friends, we've heard many people in our circles of influence, we've heard people say this, maybe, maybe not to you directly, but you've heard people say that statement before, are you calling me a liar? You've heard that before, haven't you? Can you imagine God saying that? Imagine God saying that after all the revelation of Scripture and God would say, are you calling me a liar? And yet that's exactly what people are doing when they say that a sin nature doesn't exist or that sin doesn't touch them or that somehow they've risen above it and it no longer affects them. Christian friends, let me just remind you of a very profound truth here today. Listen to me. Listen. If the sin nature doesn't exist, if sin really isn't an issue for us, then we have no need of Jesus Christ. You see where this goes? You see what's at stake here? No sin means no Savior. And no Savior means no salvation. So listen, this isn't just some little academic discussion we're having here. No. If someone doesn't admit their sins, if they don't acknowledge their sinfulness, they don't admit to their sin nature, then there's no possible way they could ever get God's salvation. That's powerful. So what does it mean to be a true Christian? To walk in God's light. Well, the true Christian admits the reality of personal sin. They see their own monumental shortcomings. They see their moral failures. They see it in, in contrast to God's holiness and His moral purity. And the true Christian perceives that the only answer is the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. Only the work of Jesus can bridge the gap between me and my sins and this holy, eternal, pure God. Well, friends, there's one more conditional statement we're going to look at. It's the last one we'll look at today. What it means to walk in God's light. True Christians walk in the light. Here's number four. True Christians walk in the light by affirming the need for ongoing confession. Number four, affirming the need for ongoing confession. Verse nine, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, friends, we've been looking at these conditional statements. They're not too hard to figure out. They're simply if-then. If this is true, then this is the result. We've seen four of them so far. If something is true, then this something else is going to be the result or the outcome. We said a moment ago, 
trying to drive this home, as John does. The Bible speaks overwhelmingly. The Bible speaks clearly about the reality of our personal sinfulness and the fact that it's our sin that keeps us separated from a fellowship with God. Darkness and light can't go together. And when we're persisting in that darkness of sin, we can't have fellowship with a God who is light. So family, praise God for what we just read in verse 9. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, you know, in today's culture, in today's America, if you mention the word confess or you mention the word confession, most people automatically think of a confessional booth in some church somewhere where a person comes in and they're kind of sorrowful and sad and they go in behind the closed door and go into this little room and and across the little barrier there is a, a priest and you lay out all your sins and your wrongdoings before the priest. But friends, maybe you've never learned before, maybe you've never heard that the Bible's word for confess, the word confession, by definition, that word simply means to say the same thing. That's what the word confession means, to say the same thing about something. Confession has the idea of agreement, of affirmation, of acknowledgement. So Scripture says when we confess our sins to God, what we're actually doing there is we're agreeing with God about our sins. We're talking to Him about our sins and we're agreeing with Him. We are essentially saying the same thing about our sins as He says about our sins. We agree with God. That's what confession is. I'm agreeing with God, saying the same thing about those sins that He says. We agree. We confess those sins are contrary to Him. Those sins do dishonor Him. They they do offend Him. They, They go against His character. They go against His laws. So the Bible says that for the person who's going to walk in God's light, there's this ongoing heartbeat, this ongoing mindset of confession. We're quick to acknowledge our sins before God. We admit to them and we agree with Him that they're wrong. So what happens then? What happens on the other side of that confession once we agree with God? Well, look at that soul-stirring truth, man. This is great. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, He, He is faithful. He is just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends, praise God for that today. Boy, put that in your pocket. Take that with you today. If we are honest about our sins with this awesome, holy God, He's faithful. He's faithful. He keeps His promises. He's just. He follows through on what He says He's going to do. He forgives us. He welcomes us back into fellowship. And He cleanses us. He even cleans us up. He he washes from us all the moral filth and the corruption, all that junk that was sticking to us. What a thrill to know that what Jesus did there on Calvary's cross, what Jesus did was sufficient for us. And so every time we come and we confess our sins, we can be so grateful that because of what Jesus did for us, when we come to confession, God is ready. He's faithful and He's just. He's there with grace. He's there with forgiveness. 
you know, maybe you're listening to this message today and, and you're not a Christian. Maybe you have a lot of questions. Maybe you wonder what it's like to be a Christian. Maybe for a whole lot of years, you've been carrying around a lot of, a lot of guilt, a lot of guilt inside about, about your sins, about your failures, the way that your life has turned out. Friend, listen, these verses give hope. This is the hope for you, friend. If only you will confess your sins. If you will only agree with God, agree with Him, speak honestly about those sins and repent over them. Be humble about them. God promises that through the work that Jesus did there on the cross, you, you friend, with all of your sin, with all of your guilt, with that stuff you're carrying around, you can be forgiven. You can be cleansed from all unrighteousness. Oh, friends, there is hope for you. There's an answer for you, and it's God's salvation. It's the salvation He alone can give. By amazing grace, it comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Friend, if God is speaking to your heart today, confess your sins. Agree with God about your sins. And then believe on Jesus Christ. Welcome Jesus Christ into your life as your Savior, as your Lord, as your Master. Friend, I would pray that today, today would be the day that you start walking in the light, in this sweet fellowship with God, and you can walk with Him from this day forward. Christian friend, for you, if you are a Christian, well, friend, these verses give some great encouragement for you too. That your whole life, Christian, your whole Christian experience is to be characterized by repentance and faith. Listen, confession of sin isn't something you did once on the day that you trusted Christ. That isn't something you did once and it's done. No, the Christian life is a whole Christian ongoing experience of confession and faith in Christ. Repentance over these sins. And I know I'm forgiven in Christ. Friends, that's the Christian lifestyle of walking in God's life. As Christians, we're always mindful of our sins. We're always aware of our sinfulness and we're, we're quick to confess that we are broken people, that we're, that we're sinful. But we're always confident. We're always confident because we know in Jesus Christ, through Jesus, we're forgiven. And we're cleansed. And we're fully accepted. Well, friends, as we close this morning, I hope that you'll take what you've learned today and I hope you'll put it into practice as you get out into a new week. John says that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. Friend, here's what that means for you. If you want to know Him, if you want to enjoy Him, you want to walk with Him, you want to experience His company, you want to walk through life with Him, then you need to walk in the path of light. The path of light, just as He is in the light. Well, how do you do that? Well, that's what John's been talking to us about today through these verses. True Christians walk in the light by acknowledging the holiness of God, aspiring to live in truth and moral purity, admitting the reality of personal sin, and affirming the need for ongoing confession. You know, maybe you're one of those Christians here today. Maybe you feel a little intimidated by the task. Maybe you're feeling today a little worried. This challenge of walking in the light. Well, friend, let me just encourage you to just take a little look 
at this little light bulb. Friend, you need to remember, it only takes just a little bit of faithful light to push back a whole bunch of darkness. So believer, shine your light. Wherever you are in life this week, shine the light of life in Jesus Christ. Walk in the light, Christian friend, and you can rest assured, not only will the darkness depart, but God will be right there beside you. Thanks for listening. This Preaching for a Change broadcast has been brought to you by the Grace Baptist Church of Hazleton, Pennsylvania. For more information, visit us online at mygracebaptist.church. If you enjoyed this broadcast, then share it with a friend on your favorite social media network. And be sure to join us next time for more enlightening and encouraging biblical exposition here on Preaching for a Change.